0: just after I see a movie, I like to go get a piece of pie and talk about it. It's sort of a little tradition I have. Do you like to get pie after you see a good movie? Hi, everybody. Welcome back to A Piece of Pie, the queer film podcast. I'm your host, Brian Rowe, and I'm here with my friend and contributor, Max. Hello there.
1: Hey, Brian. Merry Christmas.
0: Merry Christmas. I'm sorry.
1: Merry John Waters Christmas, maybe.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Happy holidays to you and to anyone listening. I'm sure you clicked the title and you know that we're covering uh john water's 1974 camp classic female trouble i wanted to get an episode out quickly for uh for the holidays and for the end of the year and if you're just joining us if you discovered us via the gayest episode ever uh welcome and this is going to be our last uh of the year uh, and i wanted to i was trying to think of like something queer but also holidays and something Kind of incorporate them, which is a struggle I go through every year. And every year, when I Google that phrase, like gay holiday movies, one scene keeps coming up. And it's going to be a scene that we're going to play a clip clip of it at some point I think I want to save it for the end but it's the cha-cha heels uh the whole movie is about Don Davenport and her sort of descent into crime and the movie opens with her in high school in 1960 and probably one of the most iconic scenes in John Waters filmography is the cha-cha heel scene uh where (laughs) Don Davenport throughout the beginning of the movie is talking about how Christmas morning all she wants is a pair of cha-cha heels and the scene comes and she doesn't get them and she throws a fit she runs out uh, thus begins her life of crime. Um, but I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to cover this movie because that's one of the, like I said, it's the phrase that comes up. You Google queer Christmas movies, you're left with uh, Divine as, as Don Davenport uh, screaming about Cha Cha. So here it, we are.
1: It's a real Malibu Barbie moment, isn't it, Brian?
0: <laughs> it is. Yeah, uh, and there's. <laughs> There's nothing very Christmassy about the rest of the movie, or very holiday. Like I said, around this time of year, when I'm trying to think of films to, to cover for the holidays, this is the scene that pops up. So I decided, you know what? Let's do it. Female trouble, John Waters. It doesn't get any gayer than that.
1: I mean, I'm just so happy that you picked this one instead of like having us watch fucking Single All the Way or something. Like nothing against Jennifer Coolidge, but given our reactions to Happiest Season last year, like I'd rather do Female Trouble than any of those or anything that's like prepackaged in Christmas. And it's a little bit of an anti-Christmas movie too. I love it. Um, I mean, if Die Hard can be a Christmas movie, why not Female Trouble?
0: Exactly. Uh, and I have to say, this is my first time having seen this movie. I had seen the Cha-Cha Heel scene a number of times. And of course, I'm very familiar with Divine and of course, John Waters. But I haven't dipped my toe into, uh, <laughs> pardon the pun, uh, the Waters of John <laughs> Waters very much i i I admire him a lot as uh sort of a queer icon. I love watching him on talk shows and I always read his 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 end of year like best movies. I find the movies themselves in particular the early stuff hard to watch uh, <laughs> <laughs> because i, I mean, wonder why i know well it's by design surely there's a lot of great moments um and John waters feels like if he was if he was a teenager, if he was that age now, he would have great success on TikTok <laughs> because <laughs> there's so many great little moments. And I feel like people on TikTok, one of my biggest pet peeves with TikTok, I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent, is this like new thing now that people do where they just like lick blip- they just lip sync dialogue from a movie, and they think that's like clever or funny or something. Hasn't that been um,
1: happening for like twenty to thirty years? When it was a Vine or wasn't it on Facebook too? Like I don't even have a TikTok account, Brian. I'm like an old, old man. So
0: <laughs> I don't either. I don't either. But I, they go viral, and I see them, and I'm like, all it, all he's doing is just reciting. He's just lip syncing a quote. Like he didn't even write it. Just well, show me the clip.
1: It's it's let's say it's minimal effort. Basically, you just yeah. have to be hot, uh, take off your shirt, and then number three, be hot. And lip sync to a movie and call it a day. One million views,
0: <laughs> exactly. But what I'm saying though is that that he's uh, a lot of really brilliant like lines and scenes. But as a whole movie, I found myself watching the time because it it's all just very loud and uh, divine. <laughs> divine has that one mode of just just screaming and calling it a performance. But let's talk a little bit about the plot, such as it is. Divine, like I said, uh, Dawn Davenport, uh, which is one of the all-time great names, by the (laughs) way. (laughs) Almost, I I actually prefer Taffy Davenport as a Mm -hmm. name, but both of them, I think, are 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 solid. Uh, But no, she she runs off because she didn't get her cha cha heels and ends up having sex with. I don't remember the man's name, but he's also a player. Earl. Mm-hmm. Earl. He's having sex with Earl. And so she gets pregnant Christmas morning and has Taffy Davenport and evolves into this life of crime. She meets her friends, Conchetta and Chiclette, and marries a man named Gator, whose Aunt Ida, like I said, is, uh, I have, all of my notes are just Aunt Ida quotes. I <laughs> say.
1: Well, of course, it's Edith Mathsey. Why not?
0: Yeah, but yeah, and so the movie kind of just exists. The the plot is is very minimal, such as it is. It really feels watching it. Uh, it feels more like we talked about months ago in another episode. We talked about how uh, the living end feels like this, like primal scream from this community. This feels like a queer community spitting in the face of good taste and <laughs> uh, <laughs> the patriarchy. And it's I feel like it purely exists to just kind of. Yeah. Spit in their face. And, and it's kind of making this statement. It's not supposed to be well acted. It's not supposed to be easy to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's all the point.
1: I mean, it's absolutely gutter trash, but it's art. You know, there's a reason why this one and Multiple Maniacs, which is my own personal favorite of John Waters are in the Criterion Collection. I mean, it's it, it starts as a queer fantasy. It really is in a way of knocking over that Christmas tree of running away from home, from the boring suburban life, you know, and it kind of expands from there into, you know, an old fashioned B picture. But, you know, this one was coming after Plink Flamingos. This one was coming after Multiple Maniacs. You know, they're trying to push as much bad taste as they can with the budget. That they've got at this time, though, too. But I got to say that I think that this one might be the clearest John Waters thesis statement still to this day about how art should be provocative, how things shouldn't be safe, how, like you say, you know, how we should get in the face of the boring heterosexual community. <laughs> and I mean, this is, I think, the most fun that John Waters and the original crew and Divine had at this time, it's really a culmination of all the work that they had put together from their Mondo Trasho years, uh, and their shorts years up until this moment. And you know, I think it's become a bit of a queer cult classic. I mean, all John Waters films are, but this one, you know, I think it's becoming a little bit of that secret Christmas classic. I actually just watched it recently this year myself. And I'm a huge John Waters fan, but it took me forever, for some reason to get to this one, or maybe I just wasn't able to get my hands on it, comparatively to, to a a lot of the other films, but I do remember it playing uh, around Christmas time at Big Chicks some years back. So I feel like that's a perfect setting here in Chicago for a movie like this, or especially that opening scene.
0: Yeah, and I, I live very close to Big Chicks, so it wouldn't surprise me. I, th- <laughs> uh, I think I actually did go off on a, a, a brief aside uh, last time I was there. They were showing the faculty, and it inspired me to text you about it because I was mm-hmm. like, "We should do the faculty at some point. We got to do the faculty." Uh, but we'll get there.
1: Well, I mean, obviously our conversation about this, Brian, really kind of boils down to two people. One, you know, obviously John Waters, who we've been talking about, but I mean, this is maybe Divine's best hour, best showcase out of all the different films. It's tough to beat, you know, obviously some of the scenes from Pink Flamingos and, you know, literal shit-eating grin, um, as well as getting raped by a giant lobster in Multiple Maniacs. But the combination of just the... Uh, the nightclub acts, the trampoline, the the acid in the face, the uh, absolutely everything this movie goes through. It's it's really like a big full punk rock concert more than anything else.
0: Oh, I loved all the scenes of Divine walking through uh, downtown Baltimore uh, because you could tell that John Waters or the, and the, the camera was just in a car. <laughs> and Divine was just walking and doing <laughs> that and performing. <laughs> you can see, it's fun to kind of spot like the sets versus when they are just getting away with something there's a shot where she's walking out of a bar and there's a whole scene inside the bar and then i think the shot of her leaving the bar she's just like whatever fuck off or something like that and and leaves just watching it i was like oh that's totally she was totally just like walk in somewhere (laughs) and then walked out (laughs) shouting that and they're just gonna make that
1: there are no permits uh being asked for here you know they're obviously filming this on the fly you know these are shots that had shown up in some of the earlier movies, especially Multiple Maniacs, when Divine goes on a rampage at the end in public, and it's all very clearly, she's throwing herself other real people's cars and their hoods. And, you know, it's very clear that shot that you were talking about, John Waters is just trailing her slowly, but kind of the fun trivia bit, or I was reading up on this one was is that she looked so extreme and also with, like, the facial scarring and everything else, like, no one wanted to actually look her in the eye or say anything else and they just assumed it was this they just assumed it was just this woman that they should not have any trouble with walking down this street so you know i think it's funny to re- to think that with how many movies they were making at this time they were already reaching the limits of shock value and bad taste and, and uh, pissing people off in public in the middle of the 70s here than they had gotten away with in their previous films
0: Yeah, that's kind of what I love about it too. Is that the like we talked about? It's like trash, but it's art. Like part of the art is in the act of going out and creating those scenes with no permits Mm -hmm. and making people uncomfortable. I think that that was as much a goal of theirs as it was the finished product of the movie. I think the finished product of the movie gets to the same, it's the same idea where it's just, it's in your face, it's spitting in your face, it's trying to make you uncomfortable. And it's showing you things that you don't normally see in movies. Um, (laughs) uh, Probably, I mean, there's the, you know, the sex scene between Dawn and was it Earl? Mm-hmm. And there's that cut. And like you see, <laughs> just the fucking, uh, you see his underwear, and the skid marks, like it's disgusting. There's nothing sexy about that sex scene. And there's not supposed <laughs> to be. They're on a mattress and a cemetery. <laughs> like it's gross. But again, that's the point. It, it, John Waters is trying to make you uncomfortable.
1: I mean, there doesn't seem a better artistic pair than John Waters and Divine for the exact type of art that they wanted to make. I mean, I think that they saw themselves in their own theatrical troupe basically as like uh, a roving band of circus freaks and geeks, you know, literally ready to bite the heads off a chicken and continue to, you know, scare people. And it's it's one of those things, Brian. You know, obviously, we were born later into, into a post-AIDS world and, and, and gay culture and, and film culture. But like before this, in 1974, when you know, a lot of the gay community, a lot of the gay white male community was moving towards assimilation, that John Waters and Divine were an essential part of pushing back against that, of being kind of like, we don't need their approval. We don't need to act like them. We don't need to get married. You know, it's, it's probably one of the most beloved John Waters lines of all time is in this movie is, the world of a heterosexual is a sick and boring life. You know, basically it really was just the giving a middle finger right back to society.
0: Yeah, I love that character, Aunt Ida. Like I I had said, most of my notes are just Aunt Ida quotes. (laughs) And I love when she's talking to her, her son, Gator... And she's just like trying to talk him into being gay. She's yeah. like, "You're working a hair salon. Mm-hmm. You don't have any queer friends. Don't you play around with your friends?" Like, I'd be, I would worry so. I would wait. What, what was the actual line I had in mind?
1: Yeah, I, I worry that you'll work in an office, have children, celebrate wedding anniversaries.
0: <laughs> yes, the world. Yeah, uh, queers are just better. I'd be so proud of you as a fad. <laughs> this is the kind of mother figure that 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 queer people r- really need in their lives. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and I think this is what kicks it above being still a cult item and one that you know has ended up in the Criterion Collection and one that's beloved by people. Is, is that uh, you know it's a gift that keeps giving? It's a little bit of just like let your freak flag fly. You know, obviously it's a film that speaks in the language of trash. You know, grade Z movies and B noirs and uh, you know reefer madness and other type of delinquent teen movies from the 40s and 50s and then just turns up that extreme button as much as it possibly can
0: and again uh it wasn't just the movie itself that it was the art it was the the act of making it the guerrilla style of going out on your on the street without mm-hmm. permits and just willing it into existence. And in a lot of ways, it it is its own, I'm going to keep saying (laughs) this, but it is its own primal scream from this era, from the 70s, in the same way that The Living End was in the 90s.
1: I think you're exactly right. And this is you know, this one represents a bit of a transitional movie for John Waters and his crew, though, too, is that this was kind of the last of the guerrilla, no permits, no budget movies, uh, because soon after this, you know, give or take a desperate living, they've moved on to polyester in 1981 and really start to take over Hollywood because it goes from polyester to hairspray to Cry Baby to cereal mom. So, you know, through a lot of the 80s and the 90s, John Waters is on top of the world. You know, the world kind of caught up with with his people and in, in the sense of bad taste. But with making bigger, more Hollywood oriented type of films, also meaning that we're going to, we're going to lose a lot of the grunge. Uh, We're going to lose a lot of, I think what makes these early movies special is, is that it really does feel like almost anything can fucking happen when you're watching these, these movies feel, I mean, they go beyond feeling provocative. They feel dangerous. You you worry for the actors. You worry for Divine, uh, especially within those trampoline scenes or that you can see her foggy breath as she's running out of that house on Christmas morning and running all around Baltimore and jumping into rivers. But like, that's again where this thing, all John Waters movies from these times always get me is that they're just insane passion projects. And, you know, it, it, every one of those moments shows up on screen.
0: Yeah, there's really nothing, nothing quite like John Waters films, uh, particularly this early era. So we've talked about Divine, uh, and sort of the, the merry band of, of freaks, uh, and we can't discuss this movie and John Waters without discussing Meg Stoll. Uh, <laughs> one of probably his, John Waters' other muse yeah. as Taffy Davenport, who just like her movie mom has one mode and that's just screaming, <laughs> but I love the scene. And, uh, where she's where Don walks home and Taffy has created a, a fake car accident and uh, and Don and then Don she's like I told you to do this outside.
1: <laughs> How many times have I told you to play car accident outside? Look at this mess, Taffy. Broken glass and ketchup all over my fine furniture. Uh, I, get, I guess I exactly. guess more trivia bits, but that apparently was a real game that John Waters used to uh, force his
0: family to play. So. <laughs> <laughs> It weirdly made me think of Harold and Maude. Uh, oh, yeah. And how Harold would always sort of like stage a fake suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what it made me think of watching it. It makes perfect sense that John Waters would do that personally. And one of the other things I thought about, and not to get too morbid, but I'm just how lucky we are that John Waters is still with us coming out of the gay 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're, we're blessed that he's still around and still making an impact. I would love it if he made another movie, although I don't really think that's ever going to happen. I think those days are behind him. But uh, he's a true icon mm-hmm. uh, for the community. And I don't know what the world, I don't want to imagine what the world would be like had these films not been made, had, mm-hmm. had Divine not been Divine, had mm-hmm. John Waters not been John Waters.
1: I mean, you're right, Brian. And, you know, when you watch these films, there is, you know, there is a little bit of a blanket of sadness that comes with, you know, a lot of people that made this uh, behind and and in front of the camera aren't with us anymore. So it is, you know, a great opportunity for us to continue to celebrate John Waters. Uh, You know, I'd love for him to make another movie too. I think that I'm probably one of the only people on the planet that actually really enjoys Pecker and Cecil B. Demented and even A Dirty Shame. Like, just give the man some money. Like, you know, like the Wachowskis still get money you know let let a person make their weird passion project even if there's nobody but like a handful of people to watch it yeah but you know when it comes to divine you know you wish that you just that we just had you know a couple more decades of divine movies yeah. and 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 where ultimately he would go and again coming off of this amazing career Brian, did you see the documentary i am divine uh, i think it was oh, on netflix
0: it's on netflix i remember i played it at the bar when i worked at the bar but i didn't i didn't sit and watch it because i, I decided i wanted to watch more divine movies before yeah. i really dug into who divine was as the documentary so i wanted to see more i haven't i haven't watched it yet i but it's 100 on list.
1: i 100 recommend that and for our listeners today too i think it's a wonderful documentary but it does a very good job of really showing divine inside and out you know from from birth to death and those type of documentary ways just showed how shockingly Popular that she became, though, too, in very multiple fronts, not just a movie star, but a music star, a performer, a nightclub performer. Um, you know, I had a lot of different plans for the future of being a character actor and, and trying a lot of different things, though, too. But right here, we're still very much in the midst of the creation of the original divine character, the one that is, you know, just mayhem and, and monstrousness. And uh, as you say over and over, just a lot of yelling. But ultimately, that just became a crystallization of her brand that then she carried kind of like into her music career. But I mean, like, no one had ever seen anything like it before. Certainly, people had seen, you know, people play, you know, do drag on screen. But like this was something that I remember growing up and my mother, you know, who was a big fan of the original hairspray and even polyester, who liked seeing a big girl representation on screen that said flat out just being kind of like, you know, uh divine is the closest I've ever seen a drag queen, you know, be like a woman. And so like there was something to that alchemy and the way that she was and how she performed that like just you
0: know, won over enough straight people by the end of it. <laughs> It was something that I was thinking about watching it because Divine was born Harris Glenn Milstead. Uh, so Divine is a drag queen, obviously. But one of the things that I was thinking about watching it, particularly when uh, during the the scene where she's giving birth, but then also later on when she's just just dressed up and, and really looking glamorous. Uh, it's this movie is this weird way of of like letting letting Harris as a male like live out i don't and again i don't want to like make any assumptions or assertions about divine's gender identity but one of the things that struck me was that oh this is divine's opportunity like to play like she's giving birth like she's a mother she gets to play a mother and be a mother for a few minutes on screen and i I found myself kind of wondering how much of that was divine's own sort of wish fulfillment Mm
1: mm-hmm That's always been an interesting question, you know, and I'm freely interchanging uh, he and she for divine because she didn't define herself that way. And then often, you know, this is where the documentary was helpful for me and I enjoyed it a lot, was is that Glenn was Glenn and Divine was Divine. You know, Divine was a performance, Divine was a character and uh, he could slip her on whenever he wanted, but it was also something that ultimately he wanted to grow out of that shadow. Uh, you know, by the end of his career and by the time that he died when he was 42, he wanted to be known as Glenn uh, Milstead, as a character actor. You know, he was, he was set to appear on Roseanne. He was set to appear on a lot of sitcoms. Um, heading into, you know, the late 80s and the early 90s. Um, so it's very possible we could have gotten a transition to a different type of character actor or maybe somebody, you know, a different character than Divine. But ultimately, in the end, Divine was such a popular character, it just kind of overtook a life of its own. It's it's hard to grow out of something that is so iconic, I suppose.
0: Yeah. Well, according to the trivia on Divine's page, Ursula from The Little Mermaid was based on Divine.
1: Oh yeah. I mean, like again, the 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 footprint of the culture that Divine left is all over the place. I mean, and again, in, in more in straight culture than than we could probably even imagine. People, audiences of all stripes just really love Divine.
0: Yeah. Uh I have like I, I mentioned that about Ursula. So I have uh her page open on my phone. And underneath that trivia is quotes, All I all my life I wanted to look like Elizabeth Taylor. Now Elizabeth Taylor looks like me. <laughs> yeah i love that yeah like i said though like uh she's just a you were right like they were kindred souls uh john waters and divine and we're so lucky that they they found each other and they created this these films that truly then and now spit in the face of popular culture and uh make a make light of marriage and the boring sad life of the heterosexual celebrating <laughs> wedding anniversaries. I just think it's, like I said, the movies themselves as movies that you sit down and watch are maybe don't necessarily work in that way in the traditional sense, but they work in the sense that you're you're watching that community react and put themselves in downtown Baltimore wherever they wanted because they weren't going to wait for permits because they couldn't get them. And they're just going to make this movie and work to piss everybody off.
1: When it comes to John Waters and the Dreamlanders, you know, like they never wanted a permit in the first place, you know, that this was, it's still inspiring to me, Brian, you know, I've been part of uh, multiple theater organizations, uh, LGBT groups, and to just see the Dreamlanders, you know, the name for John Waters and his troupe, you know, make these films just on the fly, again, acting like their own punk band, basically like their own kind of anti Andy Warhol (laughs) type of like art freaks and to see it last is, is still truly inspiring. I mean, like now pink flamingos has been added to the national film registry. Like you're you're never going to get rid of that, you know? And like, that's probably not something that they thought would ever happen to a degree. But I mean, this is, again, I think the dreamlanders and John Waters and divine's greatest thesis and their gift to the rest of the art community, is, is just like, hey, you know, provocation, crime, telling people that th- this should be illegal, um, getting people's attention. That's worth its weight a lot more than making something that's middle brow and is award winning or you know something in good taste. Bad taste can be used for great means, and I think that these films and especially Female Trouble shows that it can last
0: for sure. Uh, one last thing that I wanted to talk about in these movies is uh how to how sort of almost prescient um it was in its depiction of uh dawn's basically dawn devolves to this life of crime like we discussed but then she meets uh the dashers and they want to start photographing it and the crime becomes an art and the act of creating the crime mm-hmm. is uh the art and i and first of all i like how that interplays with what we've been talking about, how they weren't waiting around for permits and they were just going to go do it. And technically, yeah, probably committing a crime, even if it's the crime of, you know, jaywalking or filming without a permit. But what's interesting about those two characters is how much they sort of predicted almost like reality TV and this (laughs) current just sort of like...
1: You're famous for being famous, not for having any talent. You're famous for for doing crime or having a sex tape rather than necessarily being a great actor. (laughs)
0: exactly and like they didn't want that they wanted divine they just wanted the pictures they wanted to be they wanted her to be the model and and all of that but and there's even that scene where they're looking over the pictures and they're like boy i bet the police would love to get their hands on me
1: i was about to say no you're absolutely right brian i mean like i think it's prescient in the way that like (laughs) This is, they're almost like studio owners. They're almost like, you know, the people that profit off of the artist, but then wash their hands clean of it at the end and sell her up the river uh, at the trial at the end. Um, You know, so she goes to the electric chair, but, you know, they get to keep all the money, you know, so that there's still this, there's a very smart line that runs through this movie on top of all of its outrageousness and its trash. It, It takes its crime is beauty and beauty is crime message more seriously than you think a movie like this might be. And I think the Dasher are a great representation of the people that capitalize on that that are able to profit off of that but ultimately because they're not the ones you know doing these acts or ending up in the photos or anything else you know dawn can be the one that's electrified crucified and they can still go back to being undercover for their boring lives you know and i think that that's that's unfortunately a pretty good metaphor for the studio system for making movies for making art that's always going to that's always going to be prescient
0: yeah i i just it was something that i noticed and just thinking about uh just watching it and just like i said in talking about it now like
1: mm-hmm. well I mean, Brian, I suppose we should talk about, I mean, like we talk about this movie being, you know, bad taste and even a little bit dangerous, but it's also dedicated to a Manson family member. John Waters had a fascination uh, with the Manson family. You know, there's a lot that kind of fits into their theories about the life of crime is a beautiful thing that might be a bit icky, (laughs) honestly, when we look at it. I mean, when the whole thing's dedicated to uh, Tex Watson and John Waters visited him in prison uh, and that you know part of their conversations helped inspire
0: this film is that a good thing i will be honest with you i did not know that about this movie Mm -hmm. that's crazy
1: no john Waters has said this weird fascination with a lot of the manson family members probably maybe to an irresponsible degree um you know that has ended up in some of his work and you know his other fascinations have like popped up in advocating for the parole of uh, Leslie Van Houten, you know, and writes about her in, uh, as a chapter in one of his books in 2010. So, you know, like, this is a fascination, let's say, that goes the opposite direction of what, like, Quentin Tarantino just did, and fantasized about, like, burning them up. Whereas, you know, John Waters has always, you know, and I think this is part of the commitment to bad taste early in his career, though, too, idolized some murderers and really icky people. Is it a joke? Or is it something that he actually believes? But I mean, some of those fingerprints and that dedication are involved with this movie. And, uh, you know, it's it's definitely a conflicting feeling.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I remember he hosted some show in the early 2000s. I don't remember what channel it was on. And I'll be honest, I remember him. I remember watching. I don't think I ever saw the show, but I remember watching interviews where he was promoting it. But it was basically he was talking about. Married couples where one murdered the other, and it was a series just about examining that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that is sort of a strange fascination that he has, murder in general, which you're right is very icky. Yeah,
1: but maybe I'm like, maybe again, maybe that was just a little bit ahead of its time, like you mentioned, like everyone's obsessed with true crime or podcast. I mean, like, I shouldn't talk, I'm still waiting for season three of Mindhunter, Brian.
0: (laughs) Uh, so am I, and I don't know if we're gonna get it, but well, uh, not anytime soon, not anytime soon. Um, I am excited to see Jonathan Gross in The Matrix.
1: So. <laughs> I'm looking through some of these other type of lines, but again, maybe I'm being a little bit too serious when one of the most famous lines from this movie, Brian, is, I blew Richard Speck." <laughs> I, <laughs> I think I think the serial killer and the killer of worship is built into this movie on purpose.
0: I mean, it's different, though, in a movie that it is, like, that line in a movie is funny, but to hear about John Waters, like, hanging out with Tex Water. Tex, was it? What was his name? Yeah, Tex Watson. Tex Watson, hmm like that's like that's weird right like no it's weird it's weird yeah uh i don't know that i would want to spend a lot of time with any time with people who had killed somebody Mm -hmm. that sounds terrible
1: well i guess you know it's it's research one one way or the other but uh sure
0: That would be the only reason I would mm-hmm. I would do it would be for some kind of research for something I don't mm-hmm. know what it would be but. but
1: then again like I said you know like the whole point of this and a lot of these early films are to get to that provocation or to I mean this is the type of attention they're looking for I I know one of the most famous stories you know and how many how many times this quote ended up on their posters and then on their DVD box. And I think it might even be on the criterion one though, too. But apparently uh, Rex Reed hated this movie so much that this line appeared uh, in his review. Where do these people come from? Where do they go when the sun goes down? Isn't there a law or something, you know, basically like John Waters and the dreamlanders like that's, that's the Hall of Fame quote, like they want the bad attention, they want somebody to say that this is sick and illegal. So you know, it is kind of funny, again, like I said, how, how much this is a transition movie to maybe some of that shock finally wearing off, and then finally shocking an audience in the submission that he's a big hit in the 80s and 90s.
0: Yeah. uh, Like I said, that was my first time watching this movie. I do kind of wish I had seen it sooner just because it is so Mm -hmm. unpredictable and and sort of insane. (laughs) And, you know, like we said at the top, um, it's got that iconic uh, Christmas quote, Christmas scene. Uh, And so it was perfect for this time of year. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, And a nice way to wrap up 2021 with this Avant-garde trash film <laughs> uh, to wrap up a uh, trash year. Quite frankly,
1: <laughs> well, I'm glad that you picked this one, Brian. Uh, as we promised our our listeners, we're going to play most of the big Christmas fights and <laughs> these in these classic lines. But I mean, how do we wrap up uh, this with say something gay about it when it's uh when it's a freaking John Waters film?
0: <laughs> I don't know if you do, to be honest. There's yeah, it's a. <laughs> there's nobody in this cast that is is even remotely attractive. Or, <laughs> but and you know it doesn't have to be about how attractive someone is or isn't. And I will say that Divine's dress, particularly what the outfit she's wearing when she's starting down the street, looks fantastic. Oh, I, I love, love it. Yeah, I love that haircut that she gets near the end with like yeah. the, the sides shaved and like that big spiky thing. Uh, it's almost a mohawk. Own
1: yeah it's a full punk look you know ultimately like the punk divine that's to come but you know I gotta agree with you too it's like her original dress looks and those wigs those beehives apparently like they were based off of some Diane Arbus photos too so there we get a little bit of our trash and a high art like co-mingling yet again but I mean I suppose if I do say something gay about it Brian at the end of this is that like we could just keep doing quotes back and forth but I do think probably my favorite one and one that I ultimately want to like remember in a drunken fight is I wouldn't suck your lousy dick if I was suffering and there was oxygen in your balls
0: (laughs) (laughs) i i like that quote i feel like i had heard that somewhere before yeah i
1: I think that one came through like cultural osmosis alone but yeah but well anyway brian i hope i hope that you get through the rest of john water's filmography uh sometime soon though too if you haven't seen multiple maniacs that's my next uh, recommendation because that one i think is is my personal favorite
0: Okay, well, we'll we'll have to cover it for the podcast. All right. It'd be fun to do like a Pink Flamingos with, or maybe Multiple Maniacs, but with the, that documentary you talked about.
1: I think so. Maybe we can mix them all together. And I know that we'll get around to the two hairsprays uh, eventually next year.
0: Yes. Yeah. I think that's going to be like our next John Waters, probably, is the hairspray. How fun. And I know Matthew's looking forward to it. Matthew's a big fan. <laughs>
1: yeah, I miss you, Matthew. Wish you could join us for this one, but we're looking forward to that one, too.
0: Well, thanks so much for coming on and talking, John Waters, with me. I know you're a fan, and uh, like I said, we're gonna I'm gonna make my way through his filmography from *Hell or High Water*. So, <laughs> I invite you to join me, Max, and the rest of our <laughs> listeners as well. Uh, where can they find you on social media? Uh,
1: people can find me at Max Bever on Instagram.
0: Awesome! You can find the podcast at Piece of Pie Pod on Instagram, Twitter and youtube i am so brian Rowe. that's brian with an i r-o-w-e on letterboxd and instagram uh give me a follow over there give us a like give us a follow thanks so much for checking us out we'll be back at you in the new year with uh some more gay shit and in the meantime <laughs> it's time to open some presents wouldn't you say
1: i'd say that it'd be time i hope she gets those cha-cha heels brian i don't think she's going to but good luck <laughs> Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. All the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. God. Bells, Come see what Santa
0: brought you. Oh, Christ. I'm coming. Please, Howard, try to
1: get through this without a fight. I can't stand another one. Not on Christmas. I'd better get those shots off heels. How very sweet of you, dear. Merry Christmas, Honey Bunch. Hey, wonder what this could be? A fishing rod? (laughs) Won't you join us in a carol before we open our gifts? Oh, Mother. Ah, come on, don't it, ask to the spirit. Mm. Silent
0: night, holy night,
1: all is
0: come. Touch heels. Give me those presents, I'll need you to wear those ugly shoes. I told you the kind I wanted. You ruined my princess! Please, God, not on Christmas! Get off me, you <laughs> ugly witch! You devil! Come here, you will pay for this! You devil, God damn it, Look at your mother, I'm under-